Okay, so I love mountains. I love really getting away from it all. You know, the cool night air, the sky unadulterated by city lights, but mostly all of the space. I love being close to the land. When you're up on a mountain, it's hard work for sure. You have to be efficient with the supplies that you brought. You can't just run to the nearest convenience store. When you're on a mountain, there's an extra measure of exertion that goes into everyday activities. But, I don't know, that somehow produces this really wonderful sense of satisfaction at the end of a day. There are some ways of making cheese that are closer to the land than others. And by far the closest to the land is the cheese made on mountains. Today I'll tell you the story of one type of cheese who was born on a steep mountainside. A type of cheese whose flavor and texture millions have come to love, but were originally just a necessity to make it through a hard winter and unrelenting topography. This is Behind the Rind. I'm your host, Claire. And today, we'll discover how one massive geological collision created Swiss cheese. And we'll also talk about why we don't call it that. What? Swiss cheese. Ugh! Sorry. But first, a quick vocabulary recap. When people think of Swiss cheese in the U.S., they're often thinking of those wiggly deli slices with holes in them. And, spoiler alert, this is not the Swiss cheese we are talking about. Real cheeses from Switzerland are cheeses like Gruyere, Emmentaler, Sprinz, Letivaz, or Appenzeller. These tend to be firmer, more aged cheeses, with these delicate pinpoint crystals whose flavors range from nutty with this delicate fruitiness to slightly sour. And the majority of these Swiss cheeses don't even have holes. It's really just Emmentaler cheese that has given Swiss cheese that reputation. So if you've never heard of these cheeses, much less tasted any of them, I recommend that you start with a taste of Gruyere. It's a relatively easy Swiss cheese to find, and it's a common ingredient in fondue or French onion soup. Plus, as we'll learn in a minute, people have been making this specific style of cheese for over centuries. And like an obsessive chef who keeps reworking her recipes over and over, this style of cheese has reached perfection. In the cheese industry, many of us have ditched the term Swiss cheese in favor for the term Alpine cheese. We've made the switch for two reasons. One, because most of this style of cheese tastes nothing like that deli cheese with holes, and it's kind of insulting to confuse them. Rude! And because, as we'll learn, this style of cheese isn't just made in Switzerland. It's also made in France, Italy, Austria. Heck, the U.S. is making some pretty good versions now. By referring to it as Alpine cheese, we're reducing confusion and being more inclusive. You know, if I can just... Get up on my soapbox for a minute. Thinking of Swiss cheese as just cheese with holes in it is stupid. That's like thinking every red liquid is wine. Someone gives you a cup of cranberry juice and you're like, mmm, good wine. And you see some great Kool-Aid and you're like, must be wine. Or if you saw power steering fluid and you're like, well, I guess it's just wine. It's similarly ridiculous that we conceptualize of an entire style of cheese by the fact that some of it has holes. Wine is not just red liquid, just like Swiss cheese is not just cheese with holes. <sighs> In summary, we used to call this style Swiss cheese, but now everybody calls it Alpine style cheese. But I think we should call it mountain style cheese. 
Why? We'll come back to that. So, present-day Switzerland sits in the middle of a well-known mountain range called the Alps, home to iconic peaks like the Matterhorn. It's a landlocked country that is mostly mountains. 60% to be exact. Fact man! You know I hate it when you fact-check me over my shoulder. And where were you in episode 5? I took a vacation where I learned to get in touch with my emotions and to speculate without factual basis. It was terrible. Whatever. Let's travel back in time 300 million years or so to see how these mountains came to be. If you remember your earth science class, the theory of plate tectonics should sound familiar. So we had this supercontinent, Pangaea, right? And then Pangaea broke apart about 175 million years ago. The tectonic plates kept shifting until basically the continent we call Africa bulldozed an ancient ocean floor straight into the continent we now call Europe. And that ancient ocean floor got folded up like an accordion and formed the vast mountain range we know as the Alps. Side note, this is also what happened when the Indian subcontinent collided with Asia, forming the Himalayas. So we have mountains, and mountains aren't the easiest places to live. The lack of flat land means minimal crops can be grown, and the higher elevation means dramatic seasonal changes. In the wintertime, the valley sure is a cozy place to live, but come summer, the valley can quickly dry up, and the limited flat land means you probably can't grow enough vegetables anyway to feed your family. Also in Switzerland, everything is very tiny and narrow. You know, even our biggest city, to you, it's a town. That's Caroline Hostetler. Caroline was born and raised in Switzerland and now works in the cheese world, exporting and selling Swiss cheese. Now, enter pastoralism. Pastoralism is when humans raise livestock as a means of subsistence, and it works really well in harsh environments. Think of the Maasai tribes in East Africa, or the Bedouins in North Africa and the Middle East. These people groups were able to survive in extremely harsh, arid environments, thanks to their animals. And cheese? What about cheese? I'm getting there. In Switzerland, however, the challenge is not the lack of rainfall, it's the steep mountains that dominate the landscape of this country. Standing at the base of a 12,000-foot glacial mountain, you begin to grasp the magnitude of the problem. You live in this village in a valley, where it's safe and you're protected from torrential winter storms. But come summer, as the snow melts, the high mountains that are usually covered in blankets of icy snow transform into this patchwork of lush pastures. So if you're a cattle farmer and summer rolls around and there's free food to feed your cows up on a mountain, you'll do just about anything to get it. Enter Transhumance. Transhumance is the worldwide practice of people moving their livestock from one grazing ground to another based on the seasons. In Switzerland, farmers hike with their herds of cows up these winding mountain passes to reach summer grazing grounds. In fact, these high summer pastures are so essential to survival in mountain life that the word alp doesn't actually refer to the mountains themselves, but in fact, the patches of green grass on these mountains. I have to tell you, most people who have never worked on an alp or a farm, they're surprised by, you know, the workload, the it's it's heavy work. It's it's physical work. You're outside, you're in thin air. People don't think of all of this. 
that's one thing. They tend to romanticize it maybe a bit too much. These farmers, or alplers as they're known. And is that what you call them, alpers? Alplers. Alplers, mm-hmm. okay. Routinely work 14-hour days during these summer months in high remote mountain huts with limited supplies. And they also make world-famous cheese. Now, usually when I think of a cheesemaker, I'm thinking of someone in a white lab coat with a culinary background. Not a one-man band, milker, herdsman, farmer, cheesemaker combo. But if this is pre-industrial times and you hiked all the way up here with your cows, which you have to milk twice a day, and you have no refrigeration, all of that nutrition needs to make it back down the mountain to your village to feed your community. You can't realistically hike down the mountain twice a day with hundreds of pounds of heavy liquid milk, but you can make the original power bar cheese. Think about it. Cheese is perfect. It takes about 10 pounds of milk to make one pound of cheese. So you're reducing the overall weight you eventually need to take down the mountain by 90% right off the bat. Your pack mules are already thanking you. And you can store it for a relatively long time, like through the winter. All you need to do to preserve this cheese is a lot of salt so the bad bacteria doesn't get in. But Switzerland is a landlocked country with minimal access to sea salt, and one cup of salt weighs 288 grams, compared to one cup of milk, which weighs 242 grams. Bringing salt up a mountain is even more labor-intensive than bringing milk down. Crap. Thanks, fact man, I guess. Okay, so that rules out salt. Perhaps they could make their cheese more acidic. The lower pH would ward off bad bacteria. However, that is a technique that can often make a cheese more crumbly, like feta or Cheshire. And that would make it prone to cracking, therefore difficult to transport. So what I'm hearing is that's also a (sighs) no-go? Well, uh, a Hail Mary, Swiss cheesemakers could try to get as much moisture out of the cheese as possible to help preserve it. Affirmative. This is an excellent solution. All right. So there are a few methods that mountain cheesemakers use to get as much moisture, i.e. whey, out of their cheese as possible. One method is cutting the curds into teeny tiny pieces and heating those curds up over a fire, causing the curds to contract and expel more whey. And the second method is that after you've hooped your curds and basically put them in a circular form, you can press them under large weights. This also helps expel more whey. The term cooked press curd is an easy way to remember this technical process. All traditional mountain style cheeses fall under this category of cooked pressed curd. And some of the hallmarks of cooked press curd cheeses are that they are incredibly dense, which of course is great for traveling down a mountain. And also they usually melt really, really well, which makes sense when you remember that beloved melty cheese dishes like fondue and raclette originated in Switzerland. Have you ever had raclette? Gooey slabs of raclette cheese are melted and then drenched potatoes and bacon. Mm. Oh, sorry. We have work to do, don't we? It's 4 a.m., still dark, and most Alplers are just getting up for the morning milking. You have a 
uh, house that is built basically as a square. It's a one-room um, affair. Um, the house is usually built with a little rock and then wood. And in this square, once you step in, everything is pretty dark. There's only small windows for insulation purposes. And Alplers sleep in this tiny little wood and stone hut. You know, there's not a room for you and one for me. It's um, you just sleep on an attic and that's it. This hut is also where they eat, cook dinner, do laundry and make cheese. And there's not a whole lot of light to work by either. Everything is dark because the cheese is made in this room and the wood fire over time will color the walls dark and everything dark. The most challenges are lack of space. Alpots, especially the older ones, can be very tiny and narrow and there's not much space to move around. Then you do not have... Um, you know, as much equipment as you have down in the valley. So everything has to be very, very efficient. And by now, we also have the complete opposite, brand new, very modern um, state-of-the-art dairies. And these are the places where it's, you ask about efficiency, it's easier to work in such an environment. Which is also wonderful, providing a younger generation the opportunity to continue to produce incredible cheese in a traditional space. But it's still really hard work. Between the 4 a.m. and 4 p.m. milking, Alplers are taking the morning milk, mixing it with a little leftover milk from the day before, which has been allowed to ferment, and making their famously enormous wheels of cheese that range anywhere from 20 to 220 pounds each. They then must turn and lightly salt yesterday's wheels. Okay, yes, they brought a little bit of salt with them up the mountain. Check the herd to make sure all the animals are okay. The list goes on and on. And a common challenge always every summer is the, the animals and the health. I had one year I called Paul routinely for the blog. Paul is a hardworking alpler. I said, how is it going? How is everything? He said, had you called me yesterday, I would have been raving. It's a beautiful summer. We have just the right balance or mix of rain and sunshine, and everything grows so nice. I have milk like never before. But last night, we lost the oldest cow. It slipped. It had fallen asleep on a cliff of a mountain, and in its sleep, just rolled down and they could hear it from the dairy they were in the dairy and they could hear this like plop and they went out and they saw and he said she was my favorite cow ever and she was now our oldest cow and it was not just what he said but how he said it it was a tragedy it was like I had lost my mom or he had lost a child. And that's how close these people are with everything, with their own family, their nature, their surroundings, their animals. And the whole team was so saddened. When a cow on an industrial farm dies, that's a blip on the balance sheet. But outplayers like Paul are personally invested in their herds, this land, and their cheese. And unfortunately, this tradition is quickly fading. It is much easier for a factory, wherever it's located, to pump out a thousand wheels every day than it is for most 
Alp farmers to craft between five and ten wheels a day. And the labor is much more hand-oriented. It's You don't push a button. You actually do stir and cut and all of these nice things. You turn by hand the, the wheels, all of that. So they go through much more... Um, labor and also have to work in limited circumstances. That's why these cheeses are higher priced and the farmers deserve to get that higher price. While most mountain style cheese must still be made with milk from grass fed cows, most are made in larger co-ops these days that no longer practice this age old tradition of transhumance. Mountain style cheese is delicious however you slice it, But it can be confusing if you're a consumer and you're looking for a cheese that's actually made up on a mountain by hand. Thankfully, there's a term that can help you find and support this tradition. That term is alpage. Alpage has two criteria. First, the cheese is made seasonally only. An alpage is never made year-round. It's made during the summer months only when the farmers and the animals are up on the alp. The second is the cheese is made right where the animals graze, the people live and work. So there's no steel tanks, there's no transportation, no cooling down of the milk. The milk is taken and turned into cheese right away. This is very, very important. So if you're looking for an authentic taste of mountain cheese, you can ask for Alpage cheese. And there is, a, there is an official logo. So those cheeses, the Alpage, can be certified. And it's that little green mountain that says Alpkäse underneath with the red um, Swiss bar. Um, only cheeses that are certified Alpage can carry that logo. And so when we mix up terms like Alpine, Alpine style, compared to a real Alpage or Alp cheese that was made up on the mountain, then we just don't do them right because the factory cheese is called Alpine style or dubbed Alpine style they are much less expensive. And if then people don't understand the real difference that exists, then they will go for the cheaper one. Whereas they know what the difference is, they might decide, okay, I want the real stuff. I want to support that farmer who still does that. Which brings us back to why I call alpine-style cheeses mountain-style cheeses. I love this term for three reasons. One, It communicates how this cheese was shaped by its terroir, namely mountains. Two, it's inclusive to cheeses made in a style from all over the world. And three, it creates less confusion with the term alpage. While the term alpage is only currently regulated in Switzerland, I'd love to see this become a part of the EU's broader protected designation of origin programs. In the meantime, I'm going to work to reduce confusion in the market between cheeses made by hand only in the summertime with painstaking labor by calling those and only those cheeses alpage, and the rest I'll call mountain-style cheeses. If you're curious to taste true alpage cheese, Caroline orchestrates a wonderful program that we've been a part of at Venissimo called Adopt an Alp. This program works like a CSA, where cheese shops commit in the springtime to a few handmade wheels from True Alpage cheesemakers. Come summer, the Alplers go to work, and then every October, we receive the fruits of their labor. I encourage you to seek these cheeses out. 
You can learn more about the program at adoptanalp.com. To see pictures of the official Alpage logo, you can follow us on Instagram at Behind the Cheese Rind. Or if you're a visual learner like me and you want some helpful maps and videos from today's episode, click over to our website at BehindTheRind.com. And as always, if you enjoyed the podcast and you think we earned it, please subscribe and rate us. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you like. Tune in next month for more stories and science from Behind the Rind. <laughs>